Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The funerals have taken place of Jessica Gallagher and Martin McGill, who died in Friday's explosion in Creasla in County Donegal. RTE has questions to answer over its, its decision not to broadcast an interview with former Minister Shane Ross about his biography of Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald, the Dáil heard today. The Taoiseach said that such a development has a chilling effect on public debate and on democracy. Of that, there is no doubt. Again, I don't know the background to the, to, to the entire case other than to say that such a development has a chilling effect on public debate and on democracy. And later, masks may be mandatory in some settings if COVID spikes this winter. You can join the conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. tonight the funerals have taken place of Jessica Gallagher and Martin McGill who died in Friday's explosion in Creasla in County Donegal. Our news correspondent Zara King joins me now from Creasla. Um, Zara can you take us through the events of the day? A very difficult day for people in the village of Creasla as they remembered Jessica and Martin the first of the victims of Friday's explosion. Yes, good evening, Claire. So, I mean, it's not something that any community would ever expect to have to deal with uh, burying two of their local members uh, on a day like today, one funeral at 11 o'clock this morning and then the second one at two o'clock this afternoon. Um, this morning, Father John Joe Duffy, beginning uh, the funeral mass for Jessica, said that uh, to her family, we would love to take your pain away. But he said, of course, that wasn't possible. And he said instead the community would walk with her family uh, through that pain and that they would help them in the coming weeks and months, of course, when... Uh, this week is over and uh, they are dealing with the severe loss of their daughter, Jessica Gallagher. We heard uh, so much about Jessica today, about how vibrant she was, how loved she was, uh, how she was a jewel in the crown for her family um, and spoke about the fact that she had been out for dinner on Thursday night and that she had visited her boyfriend at his apartment uh, just above the petrol station. They had been celebrating uh, her new job. Of course, her boyfriend, Connor, remains in a critical condition in hospital in Dublin and he was uh, mentioned several times, I should say, today at the at the service and uh, lots of conversations and, and talk of how fond they were of each other and how much they loved one another and how kind they were to one another. Let's just take a listen to some of what was said today. It is so difficult to lose one so young for a parent, uh, to, for parents to lose a daughter, for siblings uh, to lose one who is so much loved, uh, for a boyfriend to lose his girlfriend. 
Father John Duffy saying that what had happened and unfolded here in the village that uh, words could not give it sense. This afternoon then the funeral mass taking place uh, of Martin McGill. Uh, Martin McGill we heard at the uh, mass today was a carer, somebody who was loving, kind and compassionate, a carer for his mother and uh, they spoke about the fact that he was quite a regular here in the church, that he would uh, be in every Sunday. The priest was saying he probably lit more candles than he had ever lit in his lifetime and that uh, these candles were lit in tensions for his loved ones. That was uh, such the kindness that uh, came from Martin and he spoke about the fact that uh, he was in and out of the local shop about five times a day because he was known locally for running errands for people and doing people a favour, popping up to the shop and collecting things and dropping them back and, and that that's just who Martin was and that's uh, why people loved him so much. We also heard today that the family had suffered another loss earlier this year. Uh, Martin's father Joe had died back in February and that actually it had been a really difficult time for Martin that he had missed his father terribly. Our hope today is uh, that he is now united with his dad, who has just gone a short time ahead of him, uh, who he missed very much, and whose death was overwhelming for Martin, but that he had to care uh, for you, his mother. That was the strength that got him through. Uh, his strength was in that he was a caring person. And such lovely tributes today um, to both of those victims, of course. And the funerals will go on now for several days to come, Zara. In terms of where the investigation is at, can you bring us up to date on that? Yeah, so Claire, that investigation does continue up at the site and it's a, a slow and meticulous process. It's going to take quite some time to establish the exact cause of this but as I say, it's being treated as a tragic accident. There is no reason to suspect foul play. I suppose the latest we had today was that uh, 3D images that were taken at the scene. We had seen um, drones and cameras flying in the area actually over the last couple of days so uh, we're told now that those 3D images have now been fully captured and they're actually being examined uh, by international experts, some of which are here on the ground, some that are obviously abroad and those pictures are being um, examined very closely. These will be examined by people who are experts in blasts. And uh, there will be an answer to this, care, but it is going to take some time. It will not be uh, by the end of this week or next week. It will take some time to establish exactly what caused all of this. But as you say, um, it's been a very difficult day for the community here. I mean, everyone that watches the programme tonight will look at the village here and see their own village at home and really relate to it. You'll look into the faces of the people who've died and you'll see familiarities. You'll recognise uh, people that you love from your own community and all of this. And they have felt comforted by that outpouring of support uh, from around the country and around the world but the reality is Claire this is the beginning of a very difficult and dark week for this village. Sarah thank you for joining us tonight from Creesla. Well in other news today RTE has been criticised by the Taoiseach Micheál Martin for its decision to pull an interview with former Minister Shane Ross about his book on Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald. The Taoiseach described it as having a chilling effect on democracy. And he added that greater transparency and explanation was required from RTE over its decision to cancel the interview with the former minister about his book. Well, author and former minister Shane Ross joins me here now. Um, before we talk to you, Shane, we're going to have a listen to what the Taoiseach had to say today in the Dáil. Again, I don't know the background to the, to, to the entire case other than to say that such a development has a chilling effect on public debate and on democracy. Of that, there is no doubt. When the national broadcaster is sued by any organisation, and it has been, it has been, you know, of, 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 of considerable clout and heft. Obviously, the national broadcaster is taking a cautious position here, and because of the fear of being sued, will not publish the interview, will not broadcast the interview. That's not, that's that's something that demands greater transparency and explanation. 
Um, so, so, I mean, what I found intriguing is, well, apparently, a political party got access to the interview to listen to it uh, prior to it being known. I don't think I was ever afforded that opportunity as a leader of the opposition, ever. Uh, I, I stand to be corrected. If someone said, listen, have a listen to that there, and do you think we have permission to publish it? No, maybe that's, a bit, that's not exactly in terms of, the, I don't think RT were saying we didn't give us permission to, to republic. I, I'm, um, I'm paraphrasing there, which wouldn't be correct, I, I assume, but nonetheless, uh, I'm correcting so far as they got to listen to it, but why, why, why RT decided not to publish it is a matter that needs explanation. Um, that was the Taoiseach speaking in the Dáil earlier today. As I say, Shane Ross is here with me in studio. Uh, did it surprise you that Micheál Martin would intervene in this way, talking about this development of the interview that you did on RT Radio not going to air as having a chilling effect on democracy and public debate? I think it's most unusual for a Taoiseach to come in on, on an issue like this, but it was a very unusual issue. I, I was in, I've been interviewed by various people for maybe 40 years, and I've never come across quite an such an extraordinary circumstances of an interview, uh, whether it's an RTE or anywhere else. We, the background to this is, is, is very, very, it's not complicated, but it, it went on for a long time. Mm -hmm. RTE having agreed uh, to do an interview with me about Mary Lou MacDonald uh, came forward uh, before, before, before the... Uh, before the, before the recording was to be made and insisting, first of all, that it was recording, which is fine. We thought that was, that was absolutely fine. They wanted to record it. And I suppose that was because of the sensitivities which there are with, with Mary Lou MacDonald at the moment. And Tisha alluded to that. But they then said that not only should it be legal, that they, they, they then said that they wanted to have certain stipulations for the interview, which for certain subjects would not, were not to be raised, uh, including the issue of the House. They then, then went on to say that it had to be very, very strongly legal and they'd need it four or five days in advance, uh, which is, again, very unusual. And what the Tishik then uh, referred to was, yes, they, it, was, it, it was said to us quite specifically, Sinn Féin must have a right of reply. Now, that's fine. Of course they must have a right of reply. First of all, the book's not about Sinn Féin. It's about well, what, what form was that right of reply to take? Exactly. Well, the right of reply was to take well, what this. were you told? Well, I'll tell you what, what, what my publishers were told. The right of reply would take the following, and I, I think I can read to you from, from, a, from an email, but they would actually put it to Sinn Féin. Here we are. We're pre-recording the interview with Shane tomorrow, so we'll put whatever he has to say to them once the interview is done. And they went on to say, I'm just saying, if they ask for the context of the question, if they ask for it, so they would have access, I might need to supply that too. And it went on. If they follow up and ask for the context, that's after they've got the right of reply, I can identify that and let you know what is needed. So, so what, what was the context now? The context means talking the chapters. It means the context the the, from the, the book. The chapters of the book rather yeah. than the recording of the interview, just yeah. to clarify on that. So because they get we the do have a interview. statement. I just think it's, it's yeah. important to say this, yeah. that Orti can confirm that no one was given access to the recorded interview. And Sinn Féin have also said Sinn Féin did not receive a copy of any interview, nor was it sought. That's absolutely correct. That's absolutely they didn't give them the, the interview or the context in the end because they, they, because they said it's not going out. They made a decision before that. They said it's just not going out at all. So they didn't get to that. But they were going to give it to them as an alternative. Sorry, sorry excerpts of the, of the book rather than the pre-recorded interview that you were to do, well, just, to, to, just to, to clarify put, that. No, they were going because to Because that, that, is, that yeah. is different. They were going to put to them what I'd said, OK, verbally, and then they were going to say, if they asked for the context in which I said it. In other words, if it was a quote from the book, they were going to ask 
for they were going to give them that quote from the book and the, and the context in the book as well. So they were going to have access to everything. Right. There's okay. no doubt about that whatsoever. OK, well, they have, and it's just important to clarify that, that RTE have confirmed that no one was given access to uh, the recorded interview. Um, they also go on to say, just to give you the, the statement from RTE on this, broadcasters have editorial independence to decide what they cover and broadcast. That's the principle uh, the BAI acknowledge. With many competing stories and items every day, it's not unusual for a pre-recorded interview not to be broadcast. And in this instance, the decision not to broadcast was an editorial decision and not influenced by any legal issues there. Would you would you accept that? No. All the problem initially was about legaling it. Okay. It was it was all about legaling. They had to have it legal. They have to have it early because they said they have to have it legaled. Okay. They didn't mention editorial independence at any stage whatsoever. There was no question of that being 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 a, being a difficulty when it came to the end. But they've said here in their statement yeah. it was an editorial decision in that the, was made not to air that interview. That's what they have correct. said on that. But with the background to this, with the extraordinary difficulty in getting this to air, with the restrictions about what to talk mm. about. Isn't it amazing that all the background, and they're reporting, reporting it to Sinn Féin, at the very end, having done, gone through all that, they pull, the, they pull the interview. Do you believe the fact that um, Mary Lou MacDonald is suing Ortiz for libel factored into that decision to drop the interview? I can see no other explanation for this. It's the most extraordinary circumstances of, of censorship I've come across. And I don't believe by the way, that Sinn Féin is guilty in this particular case. I don't. Sure. I believe Sinn Féin's statement. Well, they, they have said that. They yeah, have issued they did, a statement. It's a matter for RTE, what they choose to broadcast or not. It's highly unusual. Uh, they go on to say for the Fianna Fáil leader, and we will be getting reaction from Sinn Féin um, yeah. on this programme to that, to use um, the whole time in this way. And we invited Sinn Féin actually to come on the programme in this segment yeah. with you, Shane yeah. Ross, to discuss it. Yeah. Um, Can I just so say we will get Sinn more Fein? reaction to that. Just, I, know, yeah. I just want to ask you, because we make editorial decisions on this show every day, and sometimes yeah. it means that items are pulled, and it's a programme's editorial right to do so. Do you think the intervention, you have your platform in the Sunday Independent yeah. and you could speak out and you did yeah. so, yeah. and you know, the paper made that editorial yeah. uh, decision to publish that. Do you think the intervention of the Taoiseach in this instance was wise? I think it was very helpful indeed, because I think, I think RT have to answer questions about how this decision was made, why it was made, the circumstances behind it, who made it, and whether it was anything to do with the fact that Sinn Féin have got some, some sort of legal action against them at the moment. Because Sinn, Sinn Féin didn't interfere in this particular process. RT made this decision mm. themselves. It wasn't made by the programme people like yourself. It was made. It was definitely made higher up, higher up than that. And I think it's because they were, they were fearful. They were, yes. they were, they were afraid. They were afraid of, of something, and they were fearful probably of of this prejudicing them in in a way. That it looks as if they're biased against Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin didn't move on this. Let's be clear about this. They're not the culprits at all. Okay. Um Let's talk a little bit about the book and where the critics mm. would say you're arguably coming from on this. Um, as a political opponent of hers, you can see why many would say you'd have an agenda writing a book about Mary yeah. Lou MacDonald. You're not an independent journalist here. Um, you were on the other side of the house in all matters political. So can you see that criticism that you have an agenda coming to this story and you weren't coming at it from a neutral stance? Well, I wasn't a member of Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin liked to control their own, their own message, certainly, and they would prefer that I hadn't written this book and they'd prefer they'd written it themselves. 
But it's not true to say I was always a political opponent of hers. I was on the Public Accounts Committee with her and we were, we were fighting the same battles for... Well, she was on the opposition benches when you were Minister for Transport. I mean... She was also on the opposition clear. benches when I was on the opposition benches as well. OK, so you say I, you had a good, friendly I, relationship. Where, where did this personal interest then come from? And when, when did it begin that you, you, not, you thought, I want, I want to write about Mary Lee yeah, MacDonald? Not only did I have a good personal relationship, but I had... Uh, a, lot, a good political relationship with her. That Sinn Féin was very supportive of me on the Judicial Appointments Bill. It was very supportive of me on the, on the drink driving bill where others were not. And in fact, they were, we had a very good political relationship that they were responsible for getting it through. When did it come to me? Because it occurred to me, because Mary, Mary Lou is a very, very important and very interesting and somewhat mysterious figure. There's a lot that's not known about her. And she's a very important figure because she's got this, she's the most popular politician in Ireland. She's poised to be the next Taoiseach. She's leader of the biggest party in Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland. I think she deserved a bi biography, but we didn't know much about her. So I wanted to find out about her childhood, about what she, her background, what she, yeah. you know, w w her parents, where she, where she was brought up, all these things. Why she joined Fianna yeah. Fáil, we didn't know about that. All those issues mm -hmm. hadn't been explored at all properly, and I think people were entitled to know that, and that's all in the book. I think, I think it was out there, in terms of what's new in the book, yeah. um, Shane, you do bring up, um, Mary Lou Macdonald's home in Cabra in Dublin, questioning how yeah. she and her husband came to afford um, the conversion of their family home. Mm. Why was that such a big deal to you? Well, I think it's very important that politicians do declare their interests, and if they get sudden windfalls that people know and where they come from, you know, we we have to declare we have to declare always any any assets over a certain amount of money. Now, Mary Lou wasn't actually. I don't think you need to do that around the family home, do you? You, you have to declare you have to declare all your shares. All your stocks, all your shares, all your rents, well, everything not, like not that. Not around. I mean, no. there are many fine homes around the country that are, you know, owned by politicians, and we're not asking, including yourself. Yeah, but 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 I'm quite happy to explain that. And but the real problem here was. But it does. I mean, does she need to explain it? I mean, that's the question because that is one of the outstanding questions. Yeah. The book is all about you know the riddle of Mary Lou Macdonald. So, I mean, is there saying fascination very, very with helpful. the Taoiseach's house, with, with the Thornish's house, with, with other homes? And is it, is it fair to do that? I think it's very fair to ask people if they appear to have a source of money, if they're in public life. And we've had too many difficulties from that, in, in, that, in, in that particular sphere with uh, Charlie Hawhey and others, yeah. where they haven't explained where the money came from and, and questions have been asked. I'm not suggesting that Mary Lou did get that money in any way improperly. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that... And the visuals are there in the book and the facts are there in the book. That is difficult to explain. And I just say it would be helpful before she becomes Tisha, which is likely to be if she explained exactly where the money came from, which is a large sum of money well, to pay for do, those repairs. You, you, you do say that there's nothing to suggest that uh, Mary Lou MacDonald, which is we're keen to clarify her husband, has ever been involved in anything untoward. Correct. Or been anything other than a personal of impe impeccable financial integrity. Correct. That's absolutely true. But I think it's perfectly reasonable to expect public figures who have large sums of money to spend and have spent it to explain where it came from. That's all. That's all we're asking. We're not saying there was anything wrong with it, but questions will continue to be asked unless they answered. And we've had enough you know, accidents in that, in that sphere before in Irish public life. Um, have you got any comment from Mary Lou about this book? Did you send her a copy? The, the, I think she's read it. The, the, there has been absolutely no comment from anybody in Sinn Féin about this book, as far as I know this. She was invited to the launch. She didn't come. Several other members of Sinn Féin were invited to the launch and didn't come. So there's a kind of silence from them. Now, when I talked to her about it uh, before the book, mm. she said, uh, I, I'm not going to help you with it, 
but I'm not going to hinder you with it in any way. And that silence, I suppose, is consistent with that particular stance. Um, OK, well, look, there we'll leave it. Um, thanks for joining us tonight on the programme. We will be talking about this further um, in the next part of the programme because Sinn Féin's David Cullinan uh, is joining us, as is uh, Fine Gael's Patrick O'Donovan. So we will be getting uh, more reaction to what the Taoiseach had to say in, uh, in the Dáil today. Um, just in some good news that's reaching us tonight, Ireland are going to the Women's World Cup after their win over Scotland tonight. Uh, Donegal's Amber Barrett scoring a goal on the 72nd minute, leading Ireland to victory. Great news uh, for the girls in green. Now, uh, coming up also after the break, why masks may be mandatory in some settings if COVID spikes this winter. Stay with us. Welcome back. Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly has presented Cabinet with an emergency response plan to ensure that Ireland can appropriately deal with a new COVID variant of concern. Masks may be mandatory in some settings again if COVID spikes this winter. For more on this, I'm joined by Minister uh, at the Office of Public Works and Flood Relief, Patrick O'Donovan, Sinn Féin TD, David Cullinan, Professor Ronan Collins and Irish Times health correspondent, uh, Paul <coughs> Cullen. Uh, but first, we want to just get a bit, bit of reaction um, to what we heard the Taoiseach in the Dáil saying today, um, and to Shane Ross, uh, who was in the earlier part of this programme. And David, just to clarify, we asked if Sinn Féin and um, if you'd like to engage with Shane Ross, and you declined that invitation. Uh, do you wish to comment on the Taoiseach's Dáil intervention today, what you made of that? Well, what the Taoiseach said at the very start is that he didn't have the full context, and he should have left it at that. Because what he did, he went on to then say that Sinn Féin had sought uh, an extract of the recording that didn't happen or a copy of the recording itself. We have not sought it and we have not received it. And what RTE does is a matter for RTE. And I'm not going to engage in a book or publicise a book that's written by an opponent of Sinn Féin. Why would I? Yeah, well, he was saying he's, you know, great, had great uh, connections with Mary Lou Macdonald over the years. And, you know, he was just intrigued by this person who is likely, in his view, to be the next leader of our country. And yet he asked questions about her house, her home that she has with her husband and her two children. She has no questions to answer. Mm. She bought a home through a mortgage like all families do. I think it's outrageous. And I think that the comments from the Taoiseach today are also outrageous because I said the book was written by an opponent, and it was. It's also going to be used by opponents of Sinn Féin. And we saw that in the Dáil today. So I'm not going to promote a book that was written by a political opponent and will be used by opponents of Sinn Féin. That's a good point, really, about um, uh, Patrick O'Donovan, when you look about uh, this, at the Taoiseach intervening here, um, using it, arguably, for point scoring against Sinn Féin, uh, telling a news organisation to apply greater transparency and give uh, him an explanation. Is that right? Well, he didn't say give him an explanation. I think, uh, like, it, is, it needs to be taken into context as well that RT is almost fully Well, he supported. said that he's calling for greater transparency yeah. and an explanation. And RT is almost exclusively fun, uh, funded out of the public taxpayer's um, contribution through the television licence fee. And what he said today was that for him it was a chilling effect that all of a sudden, uh, you know, for some unknown reason, mm. um, this interview hasn't aired. Uh, and 
and I think that there but is... How is it chilling? Uh, sorry, hold on. And I think that there is a questions there that needs to be answered of the state broadcaster. And the most appropriate forum that I believe that could, could provide for that is the Oireachtas oh, uh, Committee on Communications. <laughs> really, yeah. If, no, do you, do you if, think if, that's appropriate if the director, in this well, instance? Well, that would what be I, outrageous. What I think is appropriate I'll, as I'll a television... What I think that. is appropriate as a television licence fee pair, given that this station, for instance, gets none of the television licence, no commercial mm. radio stations get any of it, if RTE is funded almost exclusively out of the television licence fee, then I think it's appropriate that RTE should be able to tell us the, uh, the answers to the questions that Shane Ross has posed. What about now, what no, they've I'm said no about applying Ross, their the own uh, editorial guidelines in this regard? Let them come out and say that then and give I an explanation. I think they have said that. They have well, said no, but I think, that. I think, it's I think not appropriate, this is, Patrick. This is it's not appropriate Shane for the government says, to tell RTE and, what and, to do. And by the way, it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate for Shane Fein to tell people what to do and, either. And we didn't. And if Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm not a fan of Shane Ross, but Shane Ross has raised very serious questions. Uh, and I think that, you know, About. He, well, he, he the, I just saw the, t- the tail end of what your interview with him there in relation to a previous uh, leader of a political party who had questions in relation to their, where wealth came from and where wealth didn't come from. I think yeah. this could be put to bed if the questions put, that he has posed were answered. Briefly, uh, David, because we do it, want to move RTE on to the health plan. very, very clear. Just about the, did not uh, an Oireachtas committee to, to, to kind of probe this further. I think that's outrageous and I think it's ridiculous. And, that, and it proves what I've been saying, that this is just going to be used by opponents of uh, Sinn Féin. Uh, it is a matter for RTE to decide what they put out. Maybe the interview wasn't interesting. Highly, un- the, highly unusual, that Shane Ross called it. Considering that news talk and TV3 or Virgin, sorry, is, and everybody else is into I can't It is outrageous for the government to want to dictate to RTE. I'm, nobody's dictating. What, well, sorry, doing, sorry Patrick, would you mind? I just yes, want to... That's, that's what you are David, doing. If you could just I just want to know why RTE won't do it. And I think as a television license, I'm entitled to If you were quite even for five seconds, Patrick, 
Um, my point is that RTE decide what they put out, not Sinn Féin, not the government, and politicians should not be directing RTE Nobody's in any way, shape or form. That was the insinuation that was no, made by the Taoiseach today, and I have to say by what you've said also. Okay. And the All fact right. that you are saying it should go before an Oireachtas committee okay. proves that. OK, I think uh, we're going to move on on this one now. Uh, let's talk about, uh, I suppose, what was brought before the Cabinet Committee uh, today regarding our health plans and the winter that lies ahead. Um, uh, Stephen Donnelly has presented to, to Cabinet an emergency response plan around mask wearing and bringing in mask mandates in certain settings like transport and healthcare. Uh, Dr Ronan Collins, to bring you in on this as someone who's working at the front line, do you worry about a COVID wave this winter and how our systems would cope? I worry about every winter. Um, I think every winter brings infections. I think the current, obviously, pandemic has heightened our awareness of the ability of virus, viral infections to significantly cause mortality uh, and to significantly affect our health services. This was always a threat every winter. We never know which variant of flu we're going to get. Mm -hmm. This year, we probably are going to have a very bad flu season. It started early. We have already uh, outbreaks of influenza A. Uh, and that coupled with what invariably will be circulating COVID will create problems. Now, I would be hopeful that the vaccination, we've had great uh, public response to vaccination, <coughs> a great programme to be fair uh, to the health services and to government in, uh, in implementing the vaccination programme. Okay. So I'd be hoping there would be some mitigation factors. But going back to briefly about the masks, I think we're beyond actually discussing whether masks are going to be implemented this year in certain settings or not. I think we're moving more and more towards a societal discussion as to whether we're going to have masks when there's circulating flus. Uh, and you would see in Asian countries that this is very much almost um, a normal uh, behaviour. Whether we want that in our society is something that we will have to discuss going forward. Would you be in favour of that? Do you think there needs to be an acceptance that we will need to wear masks in order to avoid well, it, things it's like, like when flu there, or COVID? When there's highly prevalent circulating flus and, um, and infections as serious as COVID, of course, uh, wearing masks is going to reduce transmission. Uh, but that's a very different thing than to saying to people that in the broader society everyone should wear a mask, like going into restaurants, going to theatres, going to... Th um, I'm, not, I'm neither for nor against in that regard. I think it's a matter for society. Public health will obviously advise. I think certainly in healthcare settings, unfortunately, because uh, they are inconvenient, I'll be honest with you, that um, we are going to be wearing masks henceforth uh, for the foreseeable future yeah. and probably forever. Okay. Um, you know, we're always uh, accused, I suppose, in this country, Paul, of playing kind of catch up whenever we're trying yeah. to deal with health plans, whenever we're trying to deal with what may come down the line. Mm -hmm. And all this word and warning about a potential twindemic, and um, I think we heard something that there could be 17,000 cases of COVID in our hospitals um, <clears throat> this winter and there could be more than 4,000 flu cases that's going to put a lot of pressure on a system, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a certain amount of softening people up, I think, to expect the worst. And the worst could happen because of the various things that are happening. But I think the real problem here isn't um, the likelihood of flu or even COVID because we have vaccination to deal with COVID for most people. The problem is that the health service in parts is in terrible condition. And it's going into a winter where all the indices are worse than they've been before. You know, you've got 500 people a day on trolleys and it's early October, it's yeah. quite mild. You've got record waiting lists. You've got people stuck in hospital because they can't get out to, mm. to step down care in greater number 600. 
uh, when it should have been about 300. So we're just not in a good state to go into the winter. Going into the winter. Yeah. And yet I'm listening to all these uh, promises we, we heard from the HSE today, um, Patrick, about delivering 543 outstanding beds. These were beds that were promised under previous winter plans and have yet to be delivered. So while they talk about this great number of beds, it's actually failed promises. Well, you're going to see the largest uh, health budget ever uh, in this year going into 2023, the winter of 2023, almost 25 billion euros. So we're spending a huge where, amount. Where, how are we going to free up these over 540 well, beds if a, it hasn't been done to date? The HSE have a serious challenge in, in relation to recruitment. That's not something that has Well, that's another thing. You mentioned recruitment. They're saying 608 yeah. new posts. And part of what we want to try and do is make the country more attractive for people to work in consultants, doctors, nurses, dentists, everybody. Mm. Uh, and to do that, we have to pay them, uh, you know, in the way in which we're paying them. We're, we're working through that with the national pay agreement. Uh, and it is a very challenging environment. And Ireland is, isn't unique in this in terms of being able to recruit people. OK, so but just on that, when they're talking about recruiting 608 new posts, like, will they be able to do that? Well, look, this is the ambition that the government have set out through the HSE. Right. This is why we have the largest yeah. health budget that we have. And it's a competitive environment to try and recruit people. Um, we have never said yeah. otherwise. And, just, and for the when last they, when they years, talk about ambition, that's really frustrating for people who may be at home and worried or in a hospital setting at the moment, David yeah. Colnan, just on that, that we talk about ambition, but the reality on the ground is really, really different. 900,000 people on acute hospital waiting lists, uh, 250,000 people on community waiting lists, hundreds of thousands of more waiting for a diagnostic scan. That's the reality at the moment. On average so far this year, people have been waiting a half a day, 12 hours in emergency departments and some hospitals, as we know, 24 hours. Here's the winter plan. Uh, very dense, no additional funding, no additional beds beyond what was already So what about committed. this 169 no million euro? What's that about? It's all money that was announced in the budget just gone and, and last year. And on the point of hospital beds, uh, 72 beds were announced, announced as part of last year's winter plan. They were not okay, delivered. Let's ask um, Ronan Collins about that. Like from what you're seeing in your experience, uh, like how are you seeing emergency departments operating right now because we're not even in the grip of winter yet. No, so the first thing, I think you have to be fair, first of all, to everybody. Everybody is trying to sort this problem. Um, <laughs> many governments have come and gone and have failed to sort this problem. My own view is that, number one, I think you know, the Minister obviously has sought the funds and got the funds to try and tackle the problem. One of the key tenants of the problem of the plan, for example, is to hire um, somewhere between 50 and 60 extra consultants in emergency departments. Now, that is to be welcomed because we don't have enough senior people on and the can floor. Can it be done? No, there's not a prayer of that being done mm -hmm. um, because the doctors aren't there, number one. It takes uh, 500 and, days to recruit them. And even, well, even if you could fast track that, they wouldn't come back to the jobs is the problem. So it's not just about manpower. <clears throat> the other thing that nobody talks about in, in our health service, and not to be virtue signalling, but having been in on Sunday myself to try and tackle our own particular high crisis point problem, you can have all the staff on the ground, but that isn't going to help if you don't have the processes of care that mm. flow through it. Beds are part of the problem. Diagnostics are part of the problem. Home care packages in the community are part of the problem. Okay. And how you finally going to finish, just to make this very important point in addition to, to that, is that without all these things being joined up in one coherent plan, nothing is really going to, to move forward. 
And I do think that her, the way I see our health service, we'll be having this discussion next year. Yeah. I can guarantee you, because we're not I, allowing creativity. We're not allowing innovation. We're not allowing real right. disruptive practices to take place yeah. in our health um, service. Yeah. Uh, Paul, is that part of the problem? I mean, you've been covering, you've been covering yeah. health for how many years? How many times have you had yeah. this conversation? And they talk about emergency plans and the winter ahead and coping through that winter. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this. I mean, I've, I've been doing it for 10 years. And um, some things are great about the health service. I'll be clear about it. People get great care, especially when they get in through the doors. Mm -hmm. um, but some things are terrible. It's the same things that are terrible that were 10 years ago. Um, the same problems are there. They've got worse. And that's in spite of huge amounts of money being provided in the last few years. So as Ronan says, or has hinted at, it's a crisis of management, really. It's a crisis that comes from the top down, not from the bottom up. Crisis from the top down? Yeah, we, we, we were just talking before we came on air. We, we also must look at the positives. People are living longer. We have better results in cancer, better results in heart, heart, better results in stroke. The type of things that killed my parents' generation and older, luckily now, are not killing people to the same extent. So we have to actually see that we've made yeah. massive improvements. But they are but people just in who end up kind of yeah, in hospital as well, requiring care. Absolutely. When from, the best care can't be afforded from, to them because of the strain on the system. From professionals that we need to attract in a global environment, which David's party wants to tax more. I mean, a consultant... So you bringing this down straight... I thought it wasn't a straightforward issue of it's recruitment. Not a, it's absolutely not we a straightforward issue. We have for the last 20 No, but you want to increase... You want to... Just let me finish. Just let me finish. For consultants that are watching in Abu Dhabi or Dubai or Melbourne or wherever that would want to come back to Ireland, the reality is... In a government led by David, okay. you will pay more tax Irish. than in a government led by... David, and you want, talk about a competitive you environment. Want to come in I, on I engaged with the Irish Hospital Consultants Association a couple of weeks ago. I spoke at their conference. None of those issues were raised. What they raised was the need for a new consulting contract, a public-only contract. We've been discussing that since last okay. year, I, I, and it still I hasn't been done. And what they want, what actually. they want, are the tools to do the job. Consultants want the tools to do I, the job. Yeah. Briefly, I, I have to disagree Roman. with that. First of all, it's not all about money. That's one part of factor. Okay. But if you go into our hospitals, you will see that we're trying to work in conditions that nobody wants to work mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. Go in and see six and eight bedded wards. Absolutely. That I guarantee you that all the people within the political system are advocating with Sloan to care. Mm -hmm. None of you will be seen in our teaching hospitals once you've introduced this and have actually raped us from funding. We will have no funding in our system. If we are totally dependent on the state, uh, as is being proposed, right. it is my firm belief that the teaching hospitals will be run down okay. even more and none of the politicians will be in there seeking healthcare. All right. That's my view. No doubt we will return to this, um, as we always do. But for now, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Dr. Collins and to Paul Cullen. Um, the other two are staying with us, actually, uh, Patrick and David, because coming up after the break, why one Dublin pub owner is asking his customers to chill as he's forced to switch off the heating. Welcome back. Restaurants are struggling with the rising cost of energy. Um, and not just that, but pubs are struggling too. The hospitality industry are warning of closures this winter. Um, let's get a little bit more reaction to that. Uh, We're joined by Ronan Flood, co-owner of the Refresh Group. Uh, Ronan and Ashing Larkin, a food consultant, also joins us now on the pressures that we're going to be facing this winter. David Conan is still with me, as is Patrick O'Donovan. Um, but to come to you first, Ronan, um, you own three pubs. Yes. 
Um, that's Jaws Corner in Fibsborough and then you've got Oscars there in Smithfield as well and you have a third pub, Barber's Bar in Grange Gorman. You're feeling the pinch and you're actually making quite a dramatic and drastic decision to cut the heat altogether on one night of the week. Tell us exactly how that's going to work. Yeah, we've taken um, a light heart to take on a very serious matter facing the hospitality industry at the moment in, in Ireland. Um, in order to save a few bob on our heating bill, we have, as you said, decided to turn the heat down every Tuesday evening at Doyle's Corner in Fibsborough. And in return, we're offering a 20% discount on your bill, uh, but you must bring your coat. OK, so look, great plug, of course, for the pub, but you're saying serious message behind that is the cost of the bills um, of what you're facing. Give us an idea of the increases that you've seen recently. Yeah, our... Our heating and electricity bill would have increased by about 300% since 2019. It's now our second largest cost after wages. It's between 6 and 10% of our overall costs. So it is putting massive squeeze on already tight margins. OK, so just in one of your pubs, say, for August, the bill was electricity was €10,000 and the gas bill was about €4,000. That is correct. That, yes. that sort of... That, multiples of what uh, you yeah. paid prior the, to this. The, the, figure, the, the figures are absolutely massive. Currently, between Oscars and Doyle's, we're currently 52,000 year-to-date up on, uh, on 2019. Are you, are, are you worried about surviving the winter? Very much so. Um, it, is, uh, it is a huge concern to us. Uh, as I said, the margins are already being squeezed. It's now 6%, 6 to 10% of our, of our costs are now utilities. OK, um... We have a minister with us in studio, so what would you say to him about this and about the pressure facing businesses like yours heading into the winter, given that the government say they are providing grants and they are providing a little bit of assistance? Yeah, I, I, think, I don't think um, the pub industry needs to be singled out. I think all businesses in Ireland are suffering at the moment. Um, the 40% the, the um, grant during the budget is something that's very much appreciated. It was just a bit disappointing about the 9% VAT rate being removed. Mm -hmm. I think the pub industry or in the food and beverage industry should have been decoupled from hotel accommodation. Um, I think reintroducing 9% would benefit hotels because most of them would be food and beverage operators as well. I think it was just disappointing to lose the 9% VAT rate. Just in, on in this matter, budget. we're hearing anecdotally that businesses are going to the wall. We have had closures of several restaurants. Um, they post on social media, literally they're open one weekend and they're, they're gone the next. They've announced their closure. Patrons are being turned away. Customers are being turned away. They can't survive this. So what the government has offered, evidently, isn't enough for them. Well, what the government is offering is what the, is what the people are paying for. It's 11 billion euros on top of the uh, almost 80-something billion that we spend on an annual basis, bringing total expenditure next year to 90,000 million euros. Next year alone... What are you... We, sorry. Of government expenditure. So next year alone... Figures. OK, just on the bills, Next though. year alone, and in relation to energy, we have set aside 1.2 billion euros for um, pubs like Ronan's. By the way, I have a brother Republican, lest anybody be saying anything about publicans. And all other What's industries. What's he saying to you? 
same thing. Uh, every business is saying the same thing, that the energy has gone up by two and 300% in some cases. So what the government have decided to set aside is between now and February, and we've also a contingency fund into 2023 mm. if things in Ukraine don't improve of six billion euros. We will pay the difference of the value of 40% of the increase up to a maximum of 10,000 10, euros euro. yeah, per no, we month got that. Uh, for, for businesses, which is a considerable amount of money for small and medium-sized businesses across the country. It's going to be a tough winter, Claire, obviously, for all businesses. And we support the business energy support scheme that was put in place, obviously, and it has to be put in place. But it has to be targeted and it has to be fair. And what we said so to the So how are you saying targeting that, it? So but he should have sat down with the representatives of business to look at those who are affected the worst and make sure they get paid first and they get paid the most. It has to be fair in terms of its application because this is going to have a devastating impact on a whole range of businesses, obviously. All right. Well, earlier I spoke to Leash businesswoman uh, Kelly Ging about the impact the energy crisis is having on her business. I began by asking her about her rising energy costs and how it's affecting her cafes. <laughs> well, we're anticipating our next bill double. So for a small business, we're looking at a bill of in excess of €10,000 um, minimum, um, which is really, it's it's unsustainable for small businesses. It's just like, it really is impossible to, to have bills like that coming at us. Tell us about the kind of increases that you've seen, the cost increases in doing business. Um, I suppose like all small businesses, we've seen costs increase across the board Um from ingredients. We're constantly getting emails daily um, on ingredients um, price increases. Obviously, the electrical crisis has really, really hit us all. Um, we were lucky. We were on a fixed rate with Panda, but they've obviously left the market now. So we've had to switch provider and we're unfortunately anticipating a bill that's double what our last bill was. So we're really being hit with expenses in all directions. Uh, you know, a lot of businesses are worried that they're not going to be able to see out the winter. Some are making that drastic decision to close for certain days of the week. Is that something that you've considered? It's something we've talked about, thankfully. Um, we haven't had to do anything like that yet. But if it, if it does, if things worsen and the bills keep coming at us the way they are, yes, it's something that unfortunately we're going to have to look at. And a huge amount of cafes and restaurants have started closing um, earlier in the week and on certain days to try cut costs. So hopefully... It's something we're not going to have to do. But like I said, it's, it's something we'll have to prepare for just in case. OK, that's great. Listen, Kelly, thank you so much for talking to thank us tonight. Appreciate that. Thanks very much. Thanks. Uh, that was uh, Kelly Ging telling us about her story, Ashling. She runs a bakery. Uh, she has a cafe. You'd be very familiar as a food consultant about the cost of raw ingredients right now and how it's not just affecting businesses, but actually, you know, people at home who are trying to put meals on the table. Yeah, there's been a huge impact, I think. I mean, you know, the average family is going to spend an extra €750 Euro, uh, a year on their groceries. And I mean, that's such a small thing, but it's, it's going to have a massive impact. Families shouldn't have to decide whether they're going to turn on the heating or feed their families and feed their children every week. Yeah, and there's also the energy impact as well because there's ways of, I suppose, that people might, may not think about, like turning on the oven. People are making a decision that I'm not going to do that. I'm going to find another way of cooking my food in order to keep keep the bills down. Is that right? Yeah, like the kitchen is the heart of the home. I suppose we're using about 13% of our electricity on, you know, cooking the food, 16% on keeping the food fresh, 10% on other appliances. So we need to kind of figure out how can we be efficient? And yeah, as, as the consumer at home, take on that responsibility as well. And things like the air fryer work really well, things like slow cooking, batch cooking, going back into the community, like making links with your local butcher, your local green grocer, kind of trying to eat more seasonally. Mm. All of those things will really help. But 
it comes back to that education piece as well. People need to learn those skills again. There's a mm -hmm. whole generation who've missed out on that skill of scratch cooking and knowing how to nourish and feed their families really well. And I think we really need to, you know, help people there as well. Yeah, that's the reality of it, isn't it, David Cullen, when it comes down to this, that, you know, it's, a, it's going to be a big change for people. There are people already who, who will struggle to pay bills, be they running a business or in the home. And that difficulty that they're going to be faced with this winter. Yeah, I mean, all of those things that were raised are important, but what's also important is that people have income supports and that people have certainty. And what we call for householders and families and workers in terms of their energy costs is that we would cap uh, the payments and then uh, and bring the payments back to where they were in the, in the summer of last year. I think that's the fairest way to do it because it's going to be a very, very difficult winter for everybody. When now you that, look at the, that's the already been ruled out. Is there any chance that that could be revisited? Not well, correct. the only other country in the European Union, or, sorry, they're not even a European Union country now, just proposing to do what David is talking about, is Liz Trusses UK. That's I mean, it's a, it, sorry, Denmark. Well, there are no, caps no, in no, place no, in other not, countries no, they're not, now. No they're, no, they're totally different because France is a, is okay. a country that has a nuclear uh, generating capacity that's all state owned, so it's not yeah. comparable at all. Neither are the other ones. The only ones that is comparable to your plan is the United Kingdom one, which is a, out of control, okay. 110 billion pounds, which would be equivalent of about 10 billion euros in this country. Look, bank I, I just want to get to the nub of it really about supports for because when we are seeing these closures, I presume that's not what government wants to see. I presume when you're putting money aside in the budget to help with energy mm. costs and what, what was implemented during the pandemic in keeping businesses afloat, is this something that you're going to have to consider if we are seeing mass closures of businesses, of restaurants, of pubs who are really, you know, put under pressure? So, first of all, we, we don't anticipate that that will happen, but in the event that there are issues... I mean, issues that's not what we're hearing in, from Ronan in, here in tonight. In the event that there are issues in, in, the, in the new year where there is uh, so further supports needed for business, this is exactly the reason that we put aside €6 billion, Euros, something that the opposition... This rainy day to, fund. It's a contingency fund to make sure that if we need more help and more firepower in the first quarter of the year, the money is available. OK. Um, Ronan, are, do, are you... You know, reassured at all by that? No, <coughs> not not reassured at all um, by that. I think, as I was saying, we're we're currently uh, paying six percent uh, of our um, actually electricity costs mm. for us is now our second biggest expense. Um, it is now greater than our rent. To put it into perspective for people at home, um, if a household was paying right. more for their electricity than their mortgage, that household would be untenable and our, our number of businesses in this country untenable at the moment. All right. And our struggle at the moment is to break even. Okay, we've got to leave it there. That is it from us. My thanks to all my guests tonight from the late team here. Good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.